Welcome to the Productivity in Tech podcast bonus feed. Thank you for your support in helping the Productivity in Tech podcast, as well as all other J&J Media ventures. To find out more, head over to jnj.media. I'm here with Steve Lubitz today. Is it? Do you go by Steve or Stephen? Because I've I think I've Steve. heard both. I'm gonna say it's just Steve. Right? It's it's Steve unless unless you know you're mad at me and then it's Stephen. <laughs> I get that. So so Steve is a podcaster. He is also a Hearthstone player. Which if you listen to my new solo podcast, um, what I'm, I talk about my fascination with Hearthstone and and some of the other games and. Steve was someone that I listened to before I got into podcasting, when I was interested in dabbling in podcasting, and the overall voice and attitude that Steve brought to the shows that he did was one that I, I, I don't necessarily try to, to like copy, but one I try to be cognizant of. Like I want to be real, and, and like Steve has always had that realness, uh, just as he's talked about you know, between video games, political issues, social issues, like anything, like I feel like Steve is going to give it to me straight. So when I found out that he was an avid Hearthstone player before I played Hearthstone, I was like, nerd. And then <laughs> afterwards I started playing Hearthstone and I was like, oh man, Steve plays Hearthstone, but I have no way of hearing about it. And then I happened to be following him on Twitter and I saw that he had a podcast called Off Curve. And I was like, Yes, new podcast. And when I found out it was about Hearthstone, I was like, now I'm the nerd. So <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about that stuff. But Steve, introduce yourself, I guess, to talk a little bit more about, about Steve outside of the recording booth. Yeah. So, um, I mean, podcasting is something I do as a hobby, and it's something I've done as a hobby actually for a really long time. I um, I first did my first podcast about fantasy football back in 2005 which was when podcasting was first starting. I remember reading an article about it in Wired Magazine, and I had just gotten an iPod, and I got, like, Leo Laporte's, like, radio show that I was downloading and listening to. And I decided that was something that I wanted to do on my own, and I, I just kind of figured it out, and I figured out... I'd never done, like, any audio at all. And just kind of figured it out, and I roped a buddy in, and we just started talking about fantasy football. We had, you know, a good number of listeners at the time, um, and I was also doing... Like uh, just kind of like a, an audio blog with my wife for a while until we had um, till we had our second kid, which ended up being our second and our third kid at the same time, and then that was kind of like taking up a little bit too much time, and and you know I kind of stepped back, and then um, in 2014 I um, was was friends with Brianna Wu, who is a uh, game developer. She she recently ran for um, for Congress up here in Massachusetts. And um, you may also know her if you follow any of the the Gamergate stuff. And um, over the last few years, she was unfortunately a target of that. But before all of that, you know, we were both on App.net, which was like a, a like a Twitter sp- not spinoff, but it was supposed to be a Twitter competitor that didn't really pan out. It was Twitter for cool people, and yeah, basically that that's a good way to put it. Yeah, or or you know, too nerdy to exist on Twitter, whichever. Uh, but, um, so I was taught, you know, I, I had just been to PAX East that year cause that's, you know, in my backyard. And, um, I'd, I'd said that I was thinking about getting, starting to do a podcast again. She's like, let's do it. And then 
before I knew it, she had roped in uh, Maddie Myers, who I believe is a managing editor at Kotaku now and, and Georgia Dow from iMore, and we were um, doing Isometric, and that eventually got picked up by um, 5x5, and then we eventually moved to Relay FM, which is where um, it, it's where a lot of the Accidental Tech podcast isn't on there, but all the, the members of that, sh- of that network have ancillary shows on there, and um, it's a fairly large uh, podcasting network in the uh, in the tech space. And then after we we kind of went through some changes, one of our co-hosts left. We had we changed over to a general tech show, and we did that for a while. And then around, um, guys, this is sixteen. This is twenty seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen. Um, like around the fall there, I, I was just started to feel like I wasn't really in it, and I wasn't. Like I, I, I've always been kind of a video game buff, but I, I've and I, I'm a program. I'm actually a data architect as my day job. So I, you know, I ha- I keep up with technology, but it's never really been something that I've been passionate about talking about outside of work. And you know, we made the we made the switch, and it worked for a while. And then I just kind of was feeling like I was not a hundred percent in it, and I decided to back away from the show. And then we just decided to end it at that point. Um, so, but at the same time, I was starting to do, I, I was just kind of had a bunch of, I was playing a lot more Hearthstone, I was playing it at a much higher level than I had been in the past, and what, I, I it was kind of a running joke on Isometric and Disruption that I was not allowed to talk about Hearthstone, because I was, it, it was kind of, a, they were going to have an intervention for me pretty soon. If if I if I brought it up one more time, so it was clear that that was not. I think when I hit, when I hit Legend in Hearthstone, which is like the highest that you can get in the in the the uh, competitive format, I was allowed to talk about it for ten minutes of that show, and and after that, not again. So I remember uh, that but, show too. Yeah, and, and that was a good. Actually, I liked that conversation a lot because you know it was fun to talk about talk with Georgia, who was also a therapist and a former competitive uh, martial artist about just kind of like the competitive mindset and, and stealing your mind for um, for being able to be competitive and stuff like that. And and that was that was a, an unexpectedly fun conversation to come out of that. But I was kind of having a lot of thoughts about the game and I felt like I, I discovered Discord, which, which is basically Slack for nerds. And I was in a few Hearthstone Discords and I found myself just, just typing the same thing out over and over again. And I decided, you know what? I, I want to just record this so that I don't have to type it over and over again and it was around that time that um anchor which is a that right now they're like a, a full-on podcasting shop but at the time they were doing they were like this weird startup that was doing like bite-sized radio and they just announced a an uh a feature where you could record a podcast and publish it as a podcast feed so i decided i couldn't really spend any more time than i already was on podcasting but i could use the time when i was sitting in the car to Record so that's what I just started doing. I just kind of like hang uh, a pair of iPhone earbuds over my rearview mirror and have one ear in and one ear out because that's legal in Massachusetts. And I just talk to myself for 35, 40 minutes about Hearthstone. And and I mean, it it's been something that I just kind of felt like I was doing for me. And and I think that's probably like the best kind of podcast is the one that you're just kind of doing because that's the kind of podcast you would want to listen to. And um, you know, it's something that, that people have been enjoying. So I've been kind of enjoying just doing that. I've been getting into streaming on Twitch, um, like once a week. And I've also been doing play by play, um, commentary for tournament for smaller tournaments, which it's been, 
really just kind of a fun extension of of all the things that I've been doing from podcasting. So one of the things that I think is really cool with what you're doing is you are a, a data architect by trade. Like go into detail a little bit what that looks like uh, from like the day job perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what I do is like there are and people will confuse what I do with the, with the data scientist. And I can talk about that in a second too, because that's a whole other topic. But basically like whenever you, whenever you have, you, you hear a lot about analytics and data and how it's being used. And there's um, a lot of work that happens in basically taking data and collecting it, packaging it up, cleaning it, um, processing it, and then making it available for someone to, um, build an analysis over it. And I design and build the systems that do that. So a lot of, you know, acquiring data, bringing in APIs from remote systems, uh, you know, designing extracts from internal systems, doing um, ETL extract transformation and, and load logic, um, and then, you know, taking that and then organizing it. There's There's a lot of, you know, custom aggregations that end up having to happen for specific requirements for some sort of an analyst that want, knows what they want to do, but they don't necessarily have the programming skills to do it. So we'll do a lot of, or, or sometimes it's just like a performance thing. So we're just kind of taking all of that data that's flowing and getting into one place and then making it efficient to use so that people can make business decisions off of it. And, and occasionally helping make sure that those business decisions are being made off of what they, what the users actually think that they're reading. Cause sometimes that's not always the case. So I remember one of the latest episodes that you did with Off Curve, which uh, for those that don't play Hearthstone, um, one, what are you doing? You should be playing Hearthstone. It's really fun. Even if you're not good at it, you know, like me, you'll learn from people who are good at it, like Steve. And it's really cool that you're able to look at all of these different websites that are devoted to helping Hearthstone players understand what's going on in the game, like kind of a state of the game. Uh, I think one of them is actually called the meta report, but understanding what's happening in the game at the present time. And one of the cool things is a lot of people will look at this and, and this is, we could talk all day about some of my gripes about Hearthstone in that <laughs> a lot of it is no longer, let's find creative ways to make awesome decks that work. Instead, let's go to a website, copy and paste the link, and then see how well we can play that deck that was pre-assigned to us. But I won't get into that. But you're able to, to take that to the next level. You're, be, you're able to look at the data that's being presented and analyze it even further and use some of the refining tools to really make a valuable decision on not just uh, an entire deck, but individual card choices in that deck. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's the kind of thing that, you know, I do this, I do data architecture so much that it's hard to turn it off sometimes. And, and there is a lot, I, I mean, I'll tell you that even in other card games that I'm playing, because I'm not just playing Hearthstone, I'm playing other card games, I just don't talk about them on the internet as much. But even there, like, even where you don't have the kind of data that's being collected, it, it's still just people grabbing decks and, and from sites and playing them. There just isn't as much, you know, it's not as narrow as it is in Hearthstone, because there are a number of plugins that are used by a lot of professional players and, and, and you know, aspiring professional players or, or tryhards like me that is taking, like, even individual game data and then uh, d aggregating all that up and then making it available to say, like, this one, this this deck, 
this collection of 30 cards has the best win rate. And this one is good against this one, but not against this one. And if you're seeing, this is what you expect to see based on the number of games that we're playing. And there, there's, and, and the thing with, with any sort of big data set, and this is, this is Hearthstone, this is business, this is anything, is that it's, it can be kind of overwhelming to interpret all the data. And it's also very easy to read into things what you think it's telling you or what you want it to tell you but not actually what it what it's going to tell you and a lot of like you know there's a lot of going back to the old logic fallacies that you need to even apply when you're looking at data in a dashboard and and it's on some of that is on the person who's designing it to be fair to be frank because the a good dashboard is designed to be clear about what it's telling the, its users and not let them take away alternate um, alternate conclusions that are incorrect. And, and so this has kind of come into uh, you know some of the, the so some of the episodes that I've recorded recently are about some of the statistics that some of these show. like there's a statistic that's um, when it's showing you a list of 30 cards in the deck of played win rate. So very simply, it's they can track all the you know they can track all the games down to what cards were played. And so if you played this card, you won 57% of the time or whatever. And people were taking that and, and you know, saying, well, this card is bad because it has a 30% win rate or whatever. And it's something that I, I spent a lot of time over actually multiple episodes. This I mean, this happens like comes up like once a year, really, where talking about how you know correlation is not causation like yes you played that card and you won the game but did you win that game because you played the card that's not telling you that it's telling you that you played this card and you win this game but it's not establishing a link there and you may have won they may have won that game because they didn't play the card and they were just playing cards because they were being a jerk and showing the opponent what all the cards in their hand were that they could have killed them with before they actually killed them and that's something that a dashboard like that doesn't tell you and a, and a metric like that should be designed to either filter out some of that noise or not show a metric in that way to lead people down a path like that. So so that was kind of some of the criticism that I was taking of of one of those sites. But again, it's something that it's hard to know that when you don't do these things for a living. And that's why I, I felt like I needed to kind of record that episode and and bring that criticism to bear from my own experience because it's very easy to criticize something like this when you haven't done it. I've done a number of these dashboards and I know what the pitfalls are and and it's from that perspective that I was bringing that to Hearthstone and kind of my my two worlds colliding as it were. So, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you onto the show was one cuz I I just love hearing that and also <laughs> I really think HS replay should include like don't be a jerk like plays in their statistics like 30 percent of the time this was played just because the person's a jerk um so i would love that but that's some advanced machine learning they would have to put together to figure that out how many times did they play a card and then immediately send you a friend request when they lost um that's another one um but no uh, one of the things that I, i wanted to do was i wanted to try a little experiment where i think of some of the biggest things that people think about in, of course, productivity in tech. So productivity, entrepreneurship, you know, having a passion or a hobby and getting your opinion on it 
from the mind of a data architect um, or Hearthstone player of your choice. Um, so the first one is a lot of people aren't talking about the thing that I'm doing. Therefore, the thing that I am doing must be bad. Um, is that something that you have had experience with or, or dealt with in the past? Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of imposter syndrome in general, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of looking at metrics to determine whether you're being successful or not. And this is actually something I struggled with when I left Disruption, because I knew when I was leaving that podcast and I was leaving, I, I mean, and, and to be clear, like getting myself on a pod, a major podcast network was a dream of mine for a long time. And it, when I was leaving that show and not going to another one that was on the network, I knew that I was basically saying goodbye to that. I was saying goodbye to a lar a fairly large audience, all things considered. And I was saying, you know, I knew that some people like you would follow me. Like I knew that that was going to happen. And I, I was not, you know, kind of just abandoning myself into like the, into the void. But I was definitely walking away from a significant, you know, something that a lot of people don't get to do. Let's just, let's just put it that way. And, and I knew that I was going to be doing the show that I'm doing, but it was going to be a much smaller audience. And, and even then it was, it was probably about half to a quarter of the size that it is now. And I, I think that you really, it, it's very easy to look at numbers and derive value from them. It's very easy to look at Twitter followers or pod podcast downloads or web hits or your rank in Hearthstone or, or whatever and let that dictate your value. And, and I think that ultimately your value is what you get out of it. Like I would be doing off curve if nobody was listening or, or if one or two people were listening. I, like I, I just recently started up my own Discord for the for the podcast and I was very honestly convinced convinced it was going to be me and like my one uh friend who I had asked to mod for me <laughs> and 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 you know it's because I'm, I'm constantly convinced nobody's listening and, and I look at the numbers and I know that they are but um but it doesn't matter because I'm still happy doing it and I'm happy just putting that content out there and I enjoy doing it and and I do value all the feedback that I do get but I mean, if I'm looking at the numbers compared to when I was on Relay, they're not even close. But I know that I'm getting just as much value out of that fraction of the of the the audience size as I was on Relay, if not more so, because I'm truly passionate now. And, and I mean, not to say that I wasn't at the time when I was passionate about what I was talking about when I was talking about it, but I wasn't. Um, you know, I'm I'm really enjoying what I'm talking about and what I'm doing. And I know that the people who are listening are really enjoying what I'm putting out. And that's worth more than the raw listener count that I would be looking at if I was just looking at what my listeners are now, even a year later versus what they were on Relay. You know, that that is something that I have uh, struggled with a lot, especially in rebooting this podcast. So um, I'm, I'm sure you're probably not familiar with this, but uh, this podcast ran for two and a half years. And then I got sick 
and literally just shut the podcast down and took a year to deal with some mental health issues, to deal with some physical health issues, um, to deal with the fact that I was a brand new father. So like there was a lot going on in my life and I had to make the decision to shutter this idea of I'm going to be a professional podcaster. And what is interesting with that is when it left, you know, we never had sponsors. We never had, I mean, we had patrons and we had members in a premium community and I had no problem giving everybody their money back. Like that was perfectly fine. I was breaking even anyway. So it was like no big deal. But to see that mass exodus from my audience, to see people that I had never interacted with that mentioned like, oh man, I, uh, what's a good technology podcast? And, you know, here's one yeah. of my favorites. And they bring up your podcast and you're like, oh, I, I wanted to talk with them. Yeah. Like I felt like crap because I realized I'm subscribed to 135 podcasts right now. I mean, I probably don't listen to all of them every week. If I were being honest, I don't listen to all of them every month, but I'm subscribed to them because I enjoy the content from time to time. And there are certain podcasts that I always listened to. There was a good year where I always listened to Isometric. There was a, you know, a good, you know, right now I'm always listening to Off Curve and that's not just to, to blow smoke up your butt. That's, that's a fact. But I never reached out to you until it was too late. And right. I see that so often that people, not saying that you gave up on it, you know, you did the right thing. You lost interest in something and you were like, eh, my heart's not in it. So therefore there's no reason for me to be in it. But I see so many people that have like an idea or a passion for something. And because they don't get the hundred comments on YouTube or, you know, people tweeting with their special hashtag, by the way, tweet me hashtag podcast, blah, 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 blah. And like, because they don't, they don't see those things. They immediately think there's no point in doing this where yeah. I'm still getting people that have sent me DMS that are like, Oh, by the way, I'm subscribed to this podcast. And after like episode 40, I think it was like episode like 60 or 80 or something like that. It was like, Hey, what happened to the show? There, there's no more shows pop up. And I go, Oh yeah, by the way, I had a rough time and I deleted everything and I'm sorry, but if you can find something cool, if you can't, I'm, I'm not really going to work that hard to bring it back. And people will then start talking about old episodes. And when that happens, I'm just like, man, all of the value that I had that I gave up because I was under the impression that it didn't matter anymore. Right. Um, that, yeah. That's something that, you know, I am glad that you were able to say, you know, even though this isn't necessarily a part of me anymore, you know, one, that content still exists, so you can still, you know, hear it. Um, but two, you continue to spread your voice, even if, you know, five, 10 people listen to it, you're still spreading your opinion because your opinion does matter. Yeah. And, and and I mean, that's kind of what got me back into podcasting to begin with was kind of walking around packs on my own that year and thinking like, you know, who am I to start a podcast again on gaming? And I'm like, well, I have, my opinions are just as valid as anybody else's. Um, But yeah, I mean, and, and I definitely like, I know exactly what you're talking about because like that month, I would say full month after we ended disruption was, was really, really hard, really hard. And, you know, getting all the, the tweets from people who I hadn't heard from in over a year, 
didn't know that they were still listening to the show. I mean, I was, you know, you, when you told me that you were you had been listening since Isometric, like, I don't get that that often now. Um, I mean, I know that there are a few people who have followed me to Off Curve. I, I know that there are, and, and I was privileged in the, in the fact that I was not starting from nothing when I was doing that show either. But, um, but it, even then, like, all the people that came out, like, after the show was ended and tweeting about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm devastated or I'm really sad. I'm going to, ha- I, you know, I'm going to miss hearing your voice. And it's like, uh, you know, and, and with disruption, especially because of all the Gamergate stuff, we were never able to start really any sort of a community. Um, like one of the benefits of doing a podcast now, and one of the reasons that I decided to start the discord was to, to, you know, have a place for that. But and one of the reasons that I didn't do it for so long was because of that, because, I mean, we had, you know, a whole bunch of griefers raid the live stream for disruption at one point, And then that was the end of live streaming. Um, and so I was I, I'd always kind of been a little bit nervous about opening up a community like that. But I think that had we had that for disruption, maybe I don't know if it would have made a difference or not, because I think that at the end of the day, it still was not 100 percent you know, what I want, what I came in wanting to talk about. So it was still, it still would have been better for me. And there were, there were other things like scheduling and working with advertisers is not nearly as easy as it would appear from listening to, um, to, to people just reading, you know, reading ad spots in, in some of those shows, there's actually a lot of back and forth and, and stuff that goes into that. That's not apparent. That's, that's kind of some additional overhead, but I mean, had we had something like a Discord where we could see a community forming around the show, like I like I do have with Off Curve, I, I don't know if that would have made a difference or not. But even without that, right? Like, it's just a matter of whatever you're putting into the world. Like, you should want to put it out there because you want it to exist. And if people enjoy that or not, like that's great, and obviously that's the goal. And you, any creator wants their stuff to be seen or heard or experienced. But at the end of the day, it has value whether it is seen by one person or a thousand or 10,000 or a million. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily lacking value just because the the numbers say it's not as popular as something else. You know, I, I always give a shout out to to my my number ones and they know who they are. Um, those are the people that existed in our Slack uh, team even after the podcast disappeared. And the people that, for some stupid reason, I don't know why they do this to this day, but they they become patrons of stuff before things exist. Because <laughs> I was like, no, don't do this. This is bad investment advice. Like, do not. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But there's a pl- there's a time and a place for that, and it's called Kickstarter. Exactly. And, <laughs> like I'm like, hey, I'm launching a show. Oh, cool. Where's the Patreon link? Uh, I never said there was one. Well, you need to make one. Well, no. Um, but anyway, those people, I am so glad that I was able to find them because at one point in my life, I relied on them more than anybody else. There's still something. There's a thing that we do every morning in our Slack team. And that's literally, we either say, good morning, we either give a coffee emoji or a tea emoji, and somebody start doing a yoga emoji, uh, they might get kicked <laughs> out tomorrow, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know how I feel about that, yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit too close to exercise for my taste. But. Exactly. 
But for over a year, we did that. And whether there were 40 people, like 40 people in the team turned into 20 people in the team turned into four people in the team. And that was one thing that always happened. And it was, it was like a thermometer. It was a way to, to see how everyone was doing, not just in their productivity life. Cause I mean, ultimately we talk about productivity and we want to motivate you to, to go out and do the things that you want to do. But I mean, you can watch Gary V for that. And honestly, he's probably more charismatic than I am, but I'm better looking. So whatever. Um, but then also to be there for one another when you're going through those, you know, I'm starting to doubt my ability to create these things. And, and that is where I am glad that you came out and did, you know, off curve because when, when things kind of came to a point, um, where disruption came to an end. This was around the time of, if I, if I remember correctly, this was near the time of, you know, Charlottesville. This was. Yeah, it was about, it, it was, we, we ended it in January. Charlottesville would have been the August just prior. Yeah. And, and I mean, there was so much going on in the climate where I, I kind of relied on, okay, what are my, how are my internet people feeling right now? And in a world that whether, whether you're, you're, you're conservative, liberal, whatever, there's a lot of stupid crap going on and people are getting hurt because of it. And I stumbled onto off curve and I was happy when I stumbled onto it. Cause it was like, okay, this person that I used to hear from all the time left I finally found that person again. It wasn't like I was, I was really hunting that hard, but it was like, it's kind of that thing when like you're looking for something and you finally give up on finding it only to then find it and be so happy that you found it. And yeah. not only it came in a time where I was like, Hey, I'm going to try this Hearthstone thing. And it's weird because during the two or three years that I was listening to your show every single week, I would never talk to you. But in the span of you streaming, you know, once a week, like I see the notification pop up and like I immediately join the stream, even if I'm like working or doing something else, because I now see that value of just existing and letting people know that you exist. Because my first thought was like, okay, people are being like jerks in the chat and people are just getting fed up with it. So the stream ended. And like you could tell it was tense and and I have a million more questions about that old podcasting thing, but at the same time, none of that matters because you're doing something that you enjoy, and like you said, even if you're doing it for three people, that's what's most important that that you're yeah. enjoying it you know it it doesn't it doesn't matter that you know if you were the only person talking half the time, the stuff that people enjoy most out of my audience is the stuff that I don't really do for anyone else other than me. And I just happen to be like, oh, hey, I did a thing. Here it is. And then people are like, oh, this is awesome. You should do more stuff like this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, don't, don't make it about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and, and streaming's kind of weird that way, too, because I literally am doing it for like three people sometimes. And, and it's, it is a way that, I mean, but it's also... I think it lends itself to interaction a little bit more because it is real time as opposed to a podcast where you're kind of responding to something after the fact. And, and even like, 
you get into this weird thing where you're listening to it, but it could have been in the like in editing for like three days. So I may not remember what I said, especially if you know. There's, I there are some podcasters. I'm not one of them, but there are some podcasters that won't even listen to the stuff that they've been on because they just can't stand the, the sound of their own voice. So you're trying to respond to something that somebody said, and they may not even remember what they were talking about. And but you just listen to it. So there's kind of like that delay there. Whereas like when you're streaming, you're all kind of experiencing everything together. Like maybe there's a 15 second delay, but it's not, um, it's not like, you know, several days and, and it does kind of lend more to that kind of real time, you know, interaction. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be about what's happening in the game. Like sometimes we're just chatting and, and we're just talking about stuff. And, you know, yeah, I'm talking, I'm talking through my, my plays while I'm playing the game, but I'm also just kind of like hanging out and I'm just giving, you know, firing up the stream to give people a place to hang out, which is also, you know, valuable in and of itself too. So this will be my last question before we, we, you know, cut to the after show, which I always remind people, Hey, you listening right now, um, with the stuff in your ears, you know, while you're jamming out or on the road or whatever, um, the conversation isn't going to stop here. Like there's a whole another after show, which I'm still coming up with the name for right now, but uh, if you want to learn more about that, go to my Ko-Fi page. It's ko-fi.com slash Media. What is that? That's the media company that I run where I help people do podcasts and send out newsletters and YouTube content and all this other stuff. That's all I'm going to say about that. Last question for me before we jump into the after show. Now that you are a professional streamers and no longer professional podcasters, um, how would you use your skills as a data architect to advance your career as a streamer, if that's something that you even want to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's always going to be a hobby for me because it's not like the thing with with professional streaming is that you have to do it a on a schedule, which I'm not great at because I'm also you know out of the house twelve hours a day for the day job and. I'm, you know, I'm working, you know, I have a family and, and I just have, you know, I don't sleep very much. So it's like, I I don't stream, I'd love to stream more, but I just can't really do it more than the once a week. So, but generally if you're doing this, like as, you know, if you want to get partnered in on Twitch or whatever, you generally have to do, be doing it at least like three to four times a week for several hours at a time. And that's just kind of outside of my time budget. Um, I mean, I think that there are probably things that I could be doing in terms of, looking at the times that I'm streaming and seeing how many people are able to sign on and then like min maxing, you know, when I stream to, you know, how many people are likely to show up and, and, you know, maybe timing that around like people who are likely to host me. Like there's, there's a lot of black magic you could probably do. I, I just kind of, I don't really want to take streaming that seriously, to be honest. Like, Again, this is something that I'm doing because I want to do it and I just want people to hang out. And I'm not, I mean, I guess I said, I say that about everything that I'm doing. Like I just put ads on off curve for the first time, like this past week after anchor, like sending me in can, um, successively less and less subtle messages about, some of the, about, about the opportunities that were there. Like, okay, fine. Let me try this. But even then, I feel bad about taking money, which is like my own imposter syndrome hang up, um, like asking for money for this thing as though it's, you know, it, it's like ascribing a certain amount of value or a certain amount of commitment or whatever, whatever. I don't know what my hang up is, but 
Um, but even then with the streaming, like, I feel like I don't want, I, I, I mean, I'd love to be making money off of it. I'd love to have a larger audience, but I think there's also something kind of great about it being a small community. And, and I don't think everything needs to be like, everything doesn't need to be an overwhelming success to be a success. Like, I think that's really kind of been my my takeaway since leaving Relay has been kind of being able to celebrate moderate success. Because I would say that what everything that I'm doing right now is a moderate success by any by any reasonable metric. And I've been, you know, because again, being on a network, I we had orders of magnitude larger listeners than I have right now. And I know that there are streamers that have orders of magnitude larger streamers. Like I top out at I feel like maybe 15 or 20 at the like 20. If I get a good host, I'll, I'll get like 20, 20 viewers. And, and that's fine. Right. Like I'm, I'm enjoying being available and, and having a place to hang out for those 10, 15 people. And that that's good enough. Right. So I think that I'm, I, cause the, the opera, the, I'm I'm very likely to min-max anything where I really want to be the best at something. And and that goes into my Hearthstone because like one of the things that I've kind of taken with me is wanting to be good at the game and wanting to be a legend player. And and I've taken that and I've done what needs to be done to do that. I I don't but I don't need to do that for everything in life. I kind of have to pick my battles to some extent. And I'd I'm going to be much happier on looking back at whatever I've done, if I've, you know, been moderately successful and happy, then going overboard and making it into a second or a third or a fourth job and, you know, making it something that I have to do. I'm much happier now doing these things because I want to do them every week. Then, uh, you know, once you have a commitment from an advertiser in a network, you're, you're committed to releasing an episode by a certain time every week, like it or not, schedules, schedule conflicts, being sick, um, you know, you just don't feel it, you don't have anything to talk about, does not matter. You need to release an episode by that time every week, one way or another. And I'm, you know, which is not to say that there wasn't, that I didn't enjoy it, but, you know, that does start to wear on you. And, And I've been, since I've left, I've been very careful about doing everything that I do in a way that is not imposing commitments on myself, which allows me to enjoy it more. Because I know that whenever I'm putting content out, it's because I want to do it, not because I have to do it or because something is requiring me to do it. And, And that's been a much more enjoyable way for me to be a content creator than I, than maybe a year ago. I really love that answer. And this is coming from someone who at one point in his life did nothing but dream to be on a major podcasting uh, network. And then I started realizing that major podcasting networks aren't in the podcasting business. They're in the advertisement business. Like you're really, you're selling razors and picture frames and all of these other things and mattresses that, you know, you're, you're selling these things and people come for the conversation, but the conversation could potentially stop happening if they don't, if the ads stop working. And yeah. 
that is something that my anxiety helped bring on the the shuttering of the first generation that was productivity and tech. Um, the idea that oh wow I have you know I'm bringing in hundreds of dollars a month from people who want to hear this podcast. I now have to create content that keeps them happy and that is the most frustrating thing ever yeah. and it and it and like you said it can really be draining and i think about all of the people on youtube that will tell you oh i loved i do this because i love doing it or the people that have podcasts that have you know tens of thousands of downloads a day that say oh yeah i do this because i love doing it and they make that venture to go freelance or to go solopreneur or, you know, podcasting is their primary source of income. And then it becomes a job and you start yep. to see the, the podcast change slowly, slowly morphing into this thing of like, okay, let's sell some ads today, you know? And, and, and that yep. really sucks. And I think you as, as a former listener of, of isometric and disruption of, making that decision to stick to your guts and to say, Hey, you know what? I'm not about this anymore. I'm just gonna, I'm going to kill it now before it becomes something that I hate doing. Because I, I do believe that if you were still doing that podcast only for the advertisement revenue, there probably wouldn't be an off curve. There wouldn't be a wicked good stream. Like that's because that stuff does take time. Like you said, you know, the, the fact that you started hosting yesterday at like, seven in the morning you know my time really threw me off <laughs> and made me slightly angry because i missed 30 minutes but still i was like it's not about me um i'm sure he has a reason and i even messaged you like hey are you gonna do another stream this evening so i can catch it but you know ultimately that's not the point the point is that you're you're even doing a stream and yeah that's one of the reasons why i wanted you to be on the show because one you were someone that i looked up to as a podcaster the fact that you had the audacity to just stop a podcast, you know, at, that I listen to. I mean, come on, I'm so important. But the fact that you were you were just able to say, you know what, I'm not about this. I'm going to call it quits and I'm going to do something that I find enjoyable and I'm going to embrace the small community. That was something that I wish I would have had someone tell me when I was chasing clout as a podcast and yeah i i thank you for that and i definitely want to um let anyone that is interested in connecting with you further figure out how to do that so without you know i'm i'm done talking until the after show but please tell everyone how they can connect with you well i'll do that in a second but i think one something i just want to follow up on one more point that you made and and it's something that i think that is probably good for other people to hear too and, and something to take away. Like, because one thing, and this kind of what you were saying just kind of triggered this in me. Like my dream was to get on a podcast network originally because I was under the impression that a podcast network would be cross promoting and would be exposing me to a larger audience. And which is not to, and this is not a criticism of either of the podcast networks that I was on, because it, it's just, it was a misunderstanding on my part of how 
these things work. And it, it doesn't matter if it's a podcast network or you want to be a partner Twitch streamer or, you know, you want to have, you know, X number of subscribers, you want to be, you know, d distributed on YouTube or whatever it is. I think that the you get on a podcast network because you're bringing because you have an audience and you're bringing your audience to the network. The, the network isn't bringing the audience to you. And that's something that I really had backwards in my head for a really long time. And then once I was on a network, I realized at first I was like, well, why aren't we being cross promoted more? And then I realized, well, it's not there. They can't bring any more listeners to us like they there's always an initial boost. And then after that, it's up to us. And you don't need a network for that. Right. Like if that's something you want to do to get that advertising revenue, like, great, do it. Absolutely. If you want to be on a Hearthstone team, do it. But at the end of the day, like they're not going to do anything for you that you shouldn't already be doing for yourself. And once I realized that, then and that was long after I left, even like it's it's really it's not something that I like realized like while I was there. But it, once I've realized that it's made me a lot more at peace with just kind of doing what I want to do and, and bringing my audience along for the ride. And I'm happy to do it as long as they're long, willing to keep coming with me. Um, but anyway, I, I've, that's a long-winded way that you should come listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, 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 do, I do a podcast about Hearthstone um, roughly once a week. I, I mean, I do, I do occasionally skip weeks. Sometimes I'll do two episodes in a week. That's the kind of thing I can do now. Um, but it's at offcurve.com or you can just search for offcurve, um, in your podcast client or wherever it happens to be. And, um, that's where I do my podcast. I, I also stream usually Sunday nights though. This week I went out to dinner for my parents' anniversary and for my birthday. So I did it in the day, in the, during the day, but so I wouldn't be rushing the family back at night because this is how I balance things. Um, but I do stream Hearthstone as well. Um, at twitch.tv slash um, wickedgoodfm um, and I have a discord which is linked from all those things and I also do um, I, I do bring my data architect skills to bear on doing some visualizations of um, Hearthstone data that's, what, that's publicly available I generally do um, visualizations of major tournament metas uh, showing what decks and what cards were brought if that's something that is of interest to you or if you just want to see that I actually can design a dashboard and not just critic, not just critique them. Um, that's all at offcurve.com as well. And I'm also, I'm, I'm also on Twitter at wicked good. That's generally where all my randomness will, <laughs> will kind of spill out onto, uh, onto the internet that doesn't get contained in one of those places. Awesome. Okay. I know we're running a little bit behind, so um, I'm going to stop the actual conversation there and you don't have to don't, don't stop recording or anything. Okay. Um, so at the end of each show, um, I do something for those people that have been supporting me financially and it's called the after show. I always give it a name. Uh, this one is going to be a wickedly good podcast with Steve Lubitz and is it Lubitz or Lubitz? I, I, it's Lu it's Lubitz okay. you're, you're the first person, you're the first person ever to get it right on the first try. Okay. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so at the end of each show, I, I flip the host button around I am no longer the host. This is your show. This is your podcast. You're interviewing me about whatever it is you want to talk about. I have a feeling it might be Hearthstone related or data related. Um, I don't think you know this, but I, I'm a Python developer. I've been developing for five years. I love data. Like That's actually something that's really cool. I actually applied to be a data architect once and did not get a job. So that's fine. I'm a marketer now. I 
make I convince people to spend money. <laughs> it feels grimy sometimes, but I try to do it as wholesome as possible. If you want, if you want a job that's not that's not going to make you feel grimy, collecting data is not the business that you want to be in. Let me tell you. So that's you're probably you're probably better off <laughs> being in marketing because there are, there are not not usually at in my day job, but there are th- there you have to be very careful to not cross a line. Yeah, and it can get very icky if you're not careful. Yeah, that is one of the things with me. I'm, I'm attempting to go freelance with doing marketing for developers and creators and I'm doing my best to not make it grimy like I'm trying to teach people you can be personable and people will appeal to personality better than they will trying to hack the algorithm for some reason everyone tries to do um yeah but yeah this is your show now you're the host it can be as long or as short as you want it to be I've got a clear schedule so I'm going to turn it over to you and let's start a wickedly good podcast all right, so this is what I, so you you get to listen to me every week talk about what I'm getting out of card games mm-hmm. and what I'm getting out of do spending my life sitting in front of a screen looking at a children's card game. What do you get out of playing card games? Epic frustration. No, um, I get it, it's weird because one of the things that I've always been into trading card games like. The one trading card game that I wasn't into was Pokemon. Like, I don't know why. I played the real game. So. But well, I... Th- you're, you're forgiven. It's okay. <laughs> I almost got expelled from middle school for hosting Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments. Like, <laughs> like collecting money as a seventh grader is not a good look. So... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I was a hustler. I've always been a hustler. That's why my theme music is a hustler in spite of myself. Uh, also that and my uncle wrote it. So I can kind of take liberties with the credit. But yeah, like playing Hearthstone was the first time that I was able to play a trading card game and not have to feel like I'm going out of my way to do it. Um, I have, I probably have like $300 worth of like Magic the Gathering cards from the last two years, like in, in our little game curio thing. And there's only one play, well, two places um, within 30 minutes of me that I can actually play against other people. So being able to invest time and money into something to where I can literally just pick up my phone and say, I want to play against somebody and play against them and probably do bad um, and then go, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go eat a sandwich now. And like being able to do that and just pick it up and put it down when I want to, that has been the biggest benefit of playing this particular trading card game. But okay, so that's that's why you're playing Hearthstone. Well, that's not what I'm asking you. What I'm asking you is what emotionally do you get out of spending all the time playing card games? In that case, I would go with the first answer of just frustration again. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So you're just a masochist? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> it's it's this I mean, I I was questioning that today <laughs> when I was sitting there banging my head against ladder. I, I that's a fair answer. But I don't know. I don't know if that's really what you're trying to say. So I, it's funny I mentioned Pokemon in this because literally I do try to min-max things. Like that is, that has always been my thing is like, what can I do to be better at this? And that's something that trading card games gives you the ability to do without like becoming evil. Like I, I feel like, again, we had an entire conversation about how podcasts can 
sap the living life out of you if you can min max it to make the greatest you know benefit so for me like playing a trading card game is a way for me to say how can i be how can i become better at this than everyone else in the world which is highly unlikely but at the same time how can i continue to improve on this to become better and better and still feel good about myself at the end of the day yeah, no, that's that that makes a lot of sense. I, I think I can completely, you know, I can identify with that. I think that's what I do too. I mean, I've talked a lot about on, on the show about how it's kind of come out of me getting diagnosed with ADD and then trying to prove that I was actually good at something post ADD. But I mean, it's I, I think that's I imagine that's why a lot of people do too. And and I've. The more I do this, the more synergies I start to see with, like, not card games, especially at work. Like, I, you know, it's funny because I, like, now we're we're getting into Python development. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I, by the way, I've been doing this thing on the side where I've just been, like, writing all this code for no good reason because I'm trying to collect all this stupid data to get, uh, to, to put into a graph because they're having a tournament of a children's card game. <laughs> and by the way, I taught myself Python on the side to do that and now we're using it so yeah hooray for us so what's funny about that is i used to work in it i, I was a sharepoint administrator and i mean if you've ever had oh i'm so, oh man. exactly you know, and you're gonna talk about masochism on hearthstone so yeah you already know why i got out of that profession but <laughs> i switched over to marketing because of the department like i'm in the same company in a different department because it was like hey I do this thing on the side that allows me to program and I've been doing it for like five years and I have some ideas of how I could use that to help your department. And since my department refuses to let me use Python for some reason, I don't know, I guess they think it's evil, but they all use like, they use RPG, which. Oh yeah. That was my first five to somewhere between five and 10 years okay. of programming yeah, mo was RPG. Most people yeah. listen, hear that and they're like, wait, wait, the game <laughs> like the, yeah the, the no I, I know exactly what you're talking about and i feel for those people yeah, yeah. well don't feel for them i mean they're all about to retire in the next five years so it's like they're they're happy but at yeah. the same time it was like hey i have ideas of how we can improve this using javascript or using python or oh hey we could create an app in angular and you know hey i want to go to this conference that allows me to learn even more from people who are really really intelligent and it would only cost you a few hundred dollars and like, I just got tired of hearing no so many times that I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a job where I help this company make more money so I can learn about helping people make more money so that I can make more money so I can leave this job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, though I can tell you, having been, having worked with those people, and it's funny because like they have a, a conference every year. I haven't done that programming in like at least 10 years, thank God. But... I used to do that. I mean, I, they, they had like a boot camp when I first graduated for a major company that you've heard of over here in Boston. In, in and <laughs> No, it wasn't in four, thankfully, but it no, they actually wrote their own ERP system okay. because they couldn't find anything that worked for them. But, um, but they, they actually had like a boot camp to teach people out of coming out of college RPG because that was the only way they could get people. But there's, uh, uh, like an annual conference in like a you know a hotel in in central mass every year and i i haven't been there in years and someone left so for some reason i got like a flyer 
in my in my inbox and somebody left it on my desk and I said to my boss who also comes from that background like am I finally old enough to go to this conference is that what this means <laughs> like because yeah no they're all I mean they don't they don't teach anybody that anymore because why would you want to but I think that the reason that they wouldn't let you use python is probably because they couldn't figure out how the hell it was going to work because that was if they were using rpg then everything is more difficult and we're we're kind of living that now and and trying to get out of that but it's 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 really it's you can do a lot on those systems but it also really holds you back when everything is on like a green screen with um with columns that are specifying what can be typed in them in order for the code to run because it was designed off of punch cards i'm not exaggerating so so yeah <laughs> speaking of erp systems are you familiar with the as400 uh, yeah that's what i that's what i you know got started on okay yeah so that green and bl- green letters on a black background yep yeah that's yeah that's what, that's what i did for the first first t- five to five to seven years that's a, i mean i didn't start out as a data architect like i started out as an erp developer and i ended up taking over the analytics system because the guy who was in charge of it left and they're like, well, you know how to do things. Like, can we just throw this random thing at you and you'll learn it? And I did. And, and I just kind of figured everything out as I go. Like I took one database as a class in college. Like I didn't go to school for data architecture. Like there was no such thing. It was just building databases. And I just kind of figured all this stuff out as I went. And now you know, it wasn't until I went to like Strata last year and then I'm seeing like all this stuff and I'm like, oh my God, like we we're doing this, but in the most, you know, but in, in kind of a, a janky way. And now we can get kind of get to do it for real. And, and that's really kind of cool and exciting, but it's, it's a lot of work, but it's cool and exciting. But yeah, it's, it's, I, I spent a lot of time on the I on the, the I series. And I mean, the I series and the AS 400, the same thing. And I did a lot of RPG coding and I did, I I went to school for Java. Like I was not intending for that to be a long-term thing. And, and I was not super happy about how long I was doing it because it was very limiting at the time too. Yeah. I I feel bad because our company, our director of it is from Boston and worked at N4. And when he, when he came over out here to San Diego, um, the decision that like they started shuttering like the AS400 like the not like the i series like back end that we use and he was like okay we have a choice we can either start investing a ton of time and money finding a new system or we can hire every single rpg developer we know that's available yeah. and just start yeah. trying to build our own stuff in house and that's what they did so when you said like oh this person left i was like Oh, did they? <laughs> like in my mind, I'm like, was it this guy? Was it this person? <laughs> yeah, no that that person wasn't actually an AS400 person, which is why they were allowed to leave, I guess. But yeah, it was. It's. I mean, you got to give them really good health care because you need to keep them healthy because there's no one coming out behind them. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, they how much you? I mean, they joke about how much they pay COBOL people, but it's the same thing. And and you can't just shut the like those systems are never like the one thing over to the side that you can if it just stops working then okay you'll live like it's always like the backbone of the company that's built on that thing and it takes like a multi-year effort to get it over to something else so that you can continue to maintain it It, it's i mean it's been really i mean to ibm's credit it's been great for however long that it's managed to survive that long but it's just 
it's it's not you know in a world where cloud computing is everything it's not really able to scale up to that and that's where it starts to kind of fall apart when everything is like azure and aws and um you know and apis and and containers and everything else and then well okay but i have to write an rpg program and i can compile it into a service program and that's modern like no that doesn't quite work Oh man, there's a uh, there's a talk that someone gave at North Bay Python two years ago, and it was how I use Python to deal with my Fortran, and oh, <laughs> it's it's a great talk because it it it's someone who's like like you know some people would say it's not rocket science, but I am a rocket scientist, so <laughs> like I work for NASA, and this is how we keep all of these ongoing missions alive is. We have to figure out how to take Fortran, which a lot of the you know satellites and yeah. other things are, are written. You know, a lot of the software that it runs is using that, and we have to interpret it into something that we can manage to to not fall asleep to. Yeah, yeah, it, it's amazing. You know, some of the Herculean efforts that you end up having to go through just to get these, some of these legacy systems to work. And and I mean, you know, we're living that now as we're building out a whole new architecture and. You know, it's legacy systems are always going to be a problem. And, you know, it's just like you can't you're always stuck with those things and there's never enough people to be able to to support them and just kind of have to work around them as best you can. But it's yeah, it's I I can completely see them putting the Heisman to Python if they're running all their code off of RPG that, you know, I mean, they they didn't even they like the new tech when I started programming and this is like 2001 and I started programming an RPG was that you could have all of the statement on one line mm-hmm. and you could do like assignment on assignment with an equal sign. That was like the hot new tech. Like before that you had to like, if you wanted to do like a cut, like a compound if statement, like if, if a or B and C, then whatever like it was it it was that was four lines of code like for if a equals you know if, if a is true and then or b is true was on a second line and then and c is true was on a third line and then the then was on like a fourth line and it, it was it was amazing and that that was the big new tech is that you could just kind of do that as like a normal assignment statement that anybody who had written code in any other language would just read as normal like they called it freeform RPG. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was interesting because as as I mentioned, you know, I'm I'm using Python and, and I do a lot of API like based things in my in my scripts and in the programs that I use. And I have this bad habit of if I know that it's going to be the fastest way to get it done. Even if it might, like, I don't want to say it's like a bad thing to do, but let's just say that I have hit a website 35,000 times to pull images. Yeah. Like, and without them knowing. (laughs) And it was like, they're like, hey, we got to, we're going to, we're going to try to put a hole in our firewall to, you know, set up a SFTP connection that you can connect to. And you'll have to give us a few days because of red tape and stuff. And meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, you guys do what you got to do. Meanwhile, I've already pulled all the data that I need. Yeah, that's that that happens a lot and that's the kind of thing that that's the kind of the difference between IT and the business when you're doing that kind of coding because 
we know that we have to put that into production eventually and that we're going to get yelled at because somebody eventually that's going to get shut down. So that's why we kind of we end up not doing that. But that that kind of stuff happens, you know, in business coding like all the time. And, and you know, you just need to get your work done at the end of the day. And, you know, and, and it's there's also something to be said for, you know, being able to write something that's just going to go one time and then not having to maintain it long term because everything that we write ends up ends up in production and then ends up being something we're going to get called up, called about in the middle of the night. So it, that that's that's where a lot of that. For, I, I see that friction between IT and the business all the time. I, that's like half my job now. Yeah, and it, it's 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 tough because like you're on their side. Like if well, not everybody. Like there are some people in IT who are jerks. Like let's let's just be real. But like a lot of the people who are in IT, like they want to help people. Like it's it's like I like writing stuff that gets used. Right. It's like the same thing. Like I may be podcasting for myself, but I still want people to listen to it. Like I, if I'm writing something, if I'm spending like a whole bunch of time and running around with my hair on fire, like I want the code that I write to get used at the end of the day. And, you know, we want to make people able to use our systems. Like it's not like we're shutting things down because we're jerks and we enjoy like a power trip. I mean, again, there are some people who do, but a lot of the time it's just like, well, I'm trying to save you from yourself to some extent by because I I'm seeing around corners and seeing what the problem's going to be if you do that. And I'm trying to stop you from doing it that way because I've already run into that wall and I don't want it. I don't want you to do it, but it, a lot of people just don't see it that way. And, and it's unfortunate because you can't really have this kind of kind of conversation a lot of time because normally whenever somebody's trying to do something, they're already on a tight deadline and they just need to get something done. And I get it. And we're trying to make it not take longer. Like when my, you know, like when my daughter ends up taking a shortcut to to get her stuff done and then she ends up being late for the bus because sheer shortcut and ends up taking her twice as long. Like a lot of the time, that's what we're trying to do. But it's nobody ever sees it that way when you're the one who's getting stopped by IT because you're not doing things the right way. Well, are are you familiar with the YouTube channel uh, Jaco whatever? No, I'm not. So this is a this is a maker that just makes things and all all different kinds of things like he he made a fidget spinner with razor blades on it uh, oh, yeah like he made a what is it a like a 30,000 psi nerf gun <laughs> and and it's always the the tagline he goes oh i did this thing and it says well why did i do it and like his big catch line is because i can um yeah that that has always been i guess my i don't want to say my modus operandi but that's that's always been like if I want to see if something can be done, I'm going to try and yeah. do it. And if it benefits someone in the end, then great. Now, I'm not trying to rob banks or anything, luckily, but at the same time, it's like I wanted to start a podcast because podcasts look cool and I wanted to do one. I started a community because I wanted to find other people that were crazy like I was. I created a podcast under the guise of, hey, it's about productivity and technology. And we talk about Hearthstone for 30 minutes. Like, I do these things because I can. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, I don't really care. Um, Someone will be like, yeah, you wasted. I I took a day. So I do newsletters for people, right? I created a shortcut using iOS shortcuts and the scriptable app. Um, So I use JavaScript and a shortcut to automate the process that I use to make newsletters for some of my clients. 
and I show it to them and they're like, why would you show me this? Like I'm paying you money to <laughs> spend time. Like this thing that normally takes you an hour to do, you now do in two minutes. And it's like, yeah, like I'm going to show it to you because it's cool. And if you don't, <laughs> yeah. if you don't want to pay me to do this anymore, well, fine, you can take an hour to do it. I'm not giving you my code. So whatever, <laughs> like yeah. it'll take me two minutes. You'll pay me just as much, if not more. And I will have job security. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the whole thing that I did to build the dashboard, like I'm not getting any money off of that. Like I got some attention from some pro players, but that's basically it. Like I just did it because I wanted to teach myself Python and I wanted to see if I could do it. And I just kind of started down a hole and I got into a, about a hyper focus. And before I knew it, I had a bunch of Python code that I couldn't remember. how. Yeah. I may as well just build on that. So it's, but I mean, you always learn from that stuff too. Like I, I never look at that stuff as a waste of time because like I'm, I'm learning a way to do something to solve a problem. And, um, you know, that's always going to be time well spent. And I may use that not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why does somebody run a marathon? Yeah. Cause they're yeah. crazy. That's why. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, but it's also like, it's a lot of time that they're putting in. And then at the end of the day, they're never going to win the marathon, right? Like that, that's never ha like, unless you're like, you know, there's a few people obviously who can, but most people who are running a marathon are not going to win the marathon Yeah, and they don't, <laughs> they, they want to prove to themselves that they could, you've been training for this all your life <laughs> from that. And they want to see what they can do and you know, I kind of, I can't yeah. run a marathon, but this is what I can do. Uh, anyway, I think I got to, I think that's a good place to wrap post. it up because I got to get uh, to bed because I have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning oh, to get myself to yikes. work. So yeah, yeah. let me, I'm going to stop the recording there. You can treat ADHD okay. with video. And I will stop it. Like so many, so many studies have been done using one of my favorite games, Tetris, to, to like put people in that Tetris flow state. And I feel like Hearthstone is kind of that same concept, like. We all have the same pieces every single time. Like you all, like your deck, I mean, unless you change it, doesn't change in between games unless you, you say, I'm going to change it. So now you have, I have these 30 pieces and they have these 30 pieces and we have to come up with a way to make for my pieces to beat your pieces. And I can't change my pieces in the middle of the game. Like what I have is what I have. And I think that that is one of the things that, since I got diagnosed with ADHD last year, like it made a lot of sense to me. Like why play Tetris? You know, I used to play Tetris like six hours a day, like consistently, like straight. <laughs> and my wife was just like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like I have to do better than I did the last time. And like it, it centers me. And when I do better, I feel better and I feel better for days just knowing like, Hey, I, I, you know, got a new high score and, and all that thing. And I, I sit there and watch other people play the game, trying to learn how they put their pieces together so that I can be better. And when things like Tetris 99 come out and I immediately get it and immediately and get like first place in the first like seven games that I play, I'm just like, yeah, it's like <laughs> I've been preparing for this individual moment for the last two years. It's my marathon. <laughs>